It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm your host, Chris Peters. It's so good to be with you this week because it is one of my favorite weeks on the hockey calendar. It is the NCAA Men's Hockey Tournament. It begins on Friday, and we have a pretty much all-college hockey podcast for you. But we also have a spectacular guest that you will enjoy if you're not a college hockey fan but you love hockey. I think you'll like our guest today, he is Mr. Hashtag College Hockey himself, John Butchergross, the voice of the men's Frozen Four on ESPN, longtime Sports Center anchor. You'll also hear him at the Bridgeport Regional alongside Barry Melrose and Colby Cohen. It is really exciting to have him on the podcast. And and John Butchergross is also a loyal subscriber to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters, which is the written component of this whole media uh Endeavor, I guess we'll call it. I don't want to call it an empire. That sounds really pretentious. I'm going to call it an endeavor. So we'll go with that. And that's what we've got on Substack. So if you subscribe to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters at Substack, you'll find an instant reaction to the bracket. But we will also have a full preview of the upcoming men's NCAA tournament. Make sure you're a subscriber. There's a free email that you can get on that has a little bit less content, but then there's also the paid subscription option, which I highly recommend, mainly because it is how I make my living, but also because I like to give hockey fans very in-depth and detailed news, notes, analysis, all of that about hockey prospects in college, in junior. We've got all kinds of stuff. Right now, there's a full breakdown of the incredible start of Connor Bedard, who got the exceptional status to join the WHL a year early. He's off to a tremendous start with the Regina Pats. I watched his uh, shifts for his first four games, and let me tell you, there is something special about this young man. Only 15 years old, so the future of hockey, but there is a detailed post for subscribers right now on Connor Bedard. There's also my instant bracket reaction, which I mentioned was for subscribers, and there's also a lot more draft coverage. And don't forget, if you are a premium subscriber on Talking Hockey Sense or on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters on Substack, and again, that's hockeysense.substack.com or chrispetershockey.com. It'll get you there and you will be able to subscribe that way. But if you are a premium subscriber, you will have the first access to my spring draft rankings, which will come out at the end of this month. So a lot to get to, a lot coming up. We've got plenty of coverage. We've got the Men's World Under 18 Championship on the way. We've got, you know, Junior hockey starting across Canada. The WHL is underway. We fully expect the OHL to start soon. A lot of the players that went overseas are coming back. So it is going to be uh, hockey central from now until the draft in July. Maybe we'll take a small break. I don't know if we'll have time. It's just kind of the way it goes with the prospect season. It never ends, and especially now in COVID times, 
it really never ends because there are always seasons and teams popping up. But the men's college hockey season is just about to wrap up. So if you want to know everything you possibly can know about the NHL or the NCAA tournament, definitely there's a lot that will be coming up soon on Hockey Sense with Chris Peters. And again, that's hockeysense.substack.com. So make sure to check that out. And we will have lots of coverage for you. But today, it's all about college hockey. It's all about John Butchergrass. He talks about his uh, his foray into broadcasting, becoming a play-by-play man while at ESPN, the beginning of his career, how he got ingrained into the college hockey culture and obviously has now uh, a lot of apparel and, and the Bucci Overtime Challenge. There's all sorts of different things that he's gotten involved with that really connects him in, in uh, the kind of the pop culture zeitgeist of hockey. And so we talk a lot about that, but really the focus is at the early part of that podcast is all about the NCAA regionals, which begin on Friday on ESPN's family of networks. It is by far my favorite weekend of the spring. It There are two times a year that I, I love more than any, World Juniors and this weekend coming up. You sit on the couch, you watch every single regional, you watch all these teams book their trips to the Frozen Four, and it is as entertaining and as dramatic of hockey as you will see all season at any level and I cannot wait for that to get started so without further ado I'm going to kick it over to my interview with John Butchergrass of ESPN pleased to be joined by the voice of the men's frozen four on ESPN he is the one and only John Butchergrass, a man of many names, but we'll just we'll just call you Bucci for today, if that's okay with you. Um, and, that works. <laughs> and you know, a man of many hats at ESPN, obviously on Sports Center. You see him on In the Crease. You see him. Uh, you used to see him on NHL Tonight, which is you know my first exposure to you, Bucci, and that was uh, great memories there. Uh, but yeah, you know. First of all, thanks a lot for being on here. I do want to mention that John is a, is a subscriber to Hockey Sense with Chris Peters, it, and you don't have to be a subscriber to be on the podcast, but it definitely helps. <laughs> I bought my way on. Yeah, so thank you for that, John. I appreciate it. Um, but yeah, so yesterday, we're recording this on Monday, and we are we are approaching the, the men's Frozen Four, and it starts with the regionals. And you were on the selection show yesterday. I'm just going to quickly list off the the bracket so that people know what we're talking about here. But, you know, it, it all starts with number one, North Dakota in Fargo. They'll be playing American International. You've got Minnesota Duluth and Michigan in what I think could be the the best matchup of the first round of the, of the tournament. That is in Fargo. So North Dakota gets the number one overall seed. Over with the number two overall seed, Boston College will be in Albany. And they will be playing Notre Dame in the first round. They the other side of that bracket is St. Cloud State and Boston University. So that's another you know murderer's row of a bracket for Boston College. Number three, it's Minnesota, and they will take take on Nebraska Omaha, and that's uh, going to be a tough first round matchup for the Golden Gophers after a great season. Minnesota State is on the other side there, and the Mavericks will be taking on Quinnipiac, which uh, has a, a real interesting team and. <laughs> found their way uh, into the tournament despite losing the ECAC, but I think they would have probably been in there anyway. And then also the last number one seed is Wisconsin. The Badgers had a great season. They'll play Bemidji State in the first round. And on the other side, Lake Superior State, the WCHA champion, will take on the Hockey East champion, UMass. So that is the field. And John, you had an opportunity to see the bracket before the rest of us did as the host of the selection show. What was the first thing that jumped out at you in terms of surprises? I guess uh, the, the thing that got my attention was seeing that opening round Michigan, Minnesota Duluth matchup. And then, mm-hmm. you know, North assuming North Dakota does move on, you know, they know their second round game is either going to be against, you know, a conference rival who obviously has won the national, the last two national championships or a team with really a lot of talent, upside talent in Michigan that when they get going, um, you know, there might not be a more pure talented team. If all these teams played five years from now, they might be the national champion. We'll see if they're too young this year to be the national champion. But, um, you know, there's a lot of those guys are going to be in the NHL. So, you know, North Dakota, number one overall seed, pretty much knows they're going to have a challenging second round game. Where in the other regionals, you know, a number one seed or even a two seed, as we know, anybody can beat anybody. I mean, you know, Bemidji could win, Lake could win. And, 
And uh, certainly if they do that, that they, you know, they're a pretty good team. But the fact that the number one overall seed um, is pretty much guaranteed a really, uh, you know, a good top-notch team is, uh, is kind of interesting to me. Yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, that's going to be an absolutely fun matchup. I mean, just to the matching of wits of, of Scott Sandlin and Mel Pearson as well in, the, in that in that first round match between Minnesota Duluth and Michigan. I mean, obviously, one, one of the things that jumped out to me as I was watching, um, you know, one of the one of the pieces of news that came down before the decision was made was that St. Lawrence had a, a positive test in their program. Uh, they won the ECAC, which was only a, a three team league by the end of the season after, you know, kind of the the way things went with, with teams that had to pull out because of COVID reasons. And then unfortunately they have to pull out of the national tournament after earning their way in. And that opened the door uh, for, for teams like Notre Dame, which was a bubble team that I think was one of the bubble teams that not a lot of people were talking about, including me. So I felt pretty foolish once I saw that, 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 mm-hmm. that they came in, but four teams for the big 10. And I think one of the things that we've seen over the, the last couple of years is, is that the big 10 has built up more respect over the years of, of being a real challenging conference. And it shows now they have four teams. Hockey East only has three. The NCHC has four. So, so I think that's a, that's a big statement for the big 10 as well. What, what, what do you say about that? Yeah. The committee told us it was Notre Dame who uh, benefited from, uh, you know, Brent Brecky, the head coach testing positive for COVID. And so uh, St. Lawrence was out. As you mentioned, Quinnipiac was uh, already going to be in, but yeah, Notre Dame did benefit from that. And certainly the big 10 has, uh, built a very nice conference. You know, their games are on television. I can watch them on television. They're good broadcast. Uh, if I'm a young player, I know my games are going to be on TV. My parents can watch them um, if they can't get to the to the rink. So, uh, yeah, obviously Penn State's a team that every year is going to be in that mix. So I would think going forward, I can't imagine the Big Ten. Sometimes it is kind of top-heavy, so sometimes it can be free. But I think you know, going forward, they're going to threaten to have four, you know, four teams in the tournament every year. And uh, with, uh, you know, the four that made it this year and certainly Penn State, uh, those five programs should be pretty consistent. And uh, it's just now we'll see if Ohio State and Michigan State can, um, you know, really recruit and recruit top end players that those other schools are, are doing, especially especially Michigan and and uh, Wisconsin seems to really be getting some high end talent. And uh, sometimes it meshes like this year for Wisconsin last year, it didn't. So it's not mm-hmm. a guarantee, but uh, yeah, the big 10 is really, I think it's been great for college hockey. I know there are certainly CCHA and WCHA fans who, uh, who look to the past. And I understand that. Um, but what the big 10 did in terms of pushing televised college hockey games, the the quality of the production, the amount of games, I really think they pushed um, college hockey into a good direction. And uh and, and with the addition and then of course getting Penn State in the mix as well another brand name college uh, sports team with obviously football and basketball ties as well especially football so um, yeah. that's good you know that, that's certainly I think a good thing I, I agree I think that it, it is always nice to have some of those name brand schools in to just continue to increase the exposure and obviously to get more games on TV as you mentioned with you know having that that's that's a huge thing for um, for that conference and a, and a big benefit for it. And, and who knows, maybe we'll get a couple more teams. We're certainly keeping our fingers crossed for the folks at Illinois who have, have yeah. been trying. <laughs> so uh, yeah, but, and as an Illinois native, I certainly would love to see college hockey back in the state after, you know, losing UIC as a young, uh, as a kid, that was tough for me to, to lose the one college hockey team that was a couple <laughs> minutes away from me. So uh, yeah, so we'll see where that goes. Um, For but sure. anyway, Illinois, yeah, Illinois was just about ready to announce their D1 program uh, just before COVID. So it was, uh, I was told by some really great sources that it was, uh, it was going to happen. So we'll see. Yeah, I certainly, I certainly hope so. So go, go Alina. You're going to need something to console yourselves after the loss to Loyola <laughs> as well. So let's hope hockey's on the horizon. You know, another interesting factor was, you know, the WCHA did get three teams in Bemidji state was the at large, um, you know, that, that kind of, was a bit of a surprise, but I mean, Tom Saratori's built an incredible program there. Um, you know, to see three WCHA teams and three hockey East teams, I think raised some eyebrows, but what, what were some of the things that, that you made of that? I mean, obviously I think Providence ended up being, you know, the first team out. And, and I think you mentioned that if any of these teams within 24 hours have to drop out, Providence would, would be the next team in. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what I was told uh, by the committee uh, that they're kind of on call. Um, and then after seven o'clock, 
Monday night, then um, they just become basically no contest forfeits, whatever word you want to use. But uh, yeah, you know, you know, Providence just didn't quite get a couple key enough wins, you know, and uh, same with Northeastern, who was there for a while. Um, you know, I, I'm surprised Bowling Green. I know some of their 20 wins were not against, you know, D1 opponents, um, but I thought they did enough. And the fact they played that many games actually should have been a reward for teams. Right. Like, not, not, a, not a big one, but the fact they stuck it out and the fact that they played that many games and they really gave their student athletes a, a nice full season for their development and their enjoyment. Um, you know, I, I think that's a plus. And I, I, I would have put them in just for those efforts. But uh, certainly Bemidji has a good record against good teams. It's nice to get some new blood. And uh, I'll have them in Bridgeport as well. I got their line sheets right here going over them and, and uh, trying to study up to get to have a good quality broadcast. So, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the you know, hockey East, it was a kind of a strange year. You know, it you was. play a lot of games for sure. And the UMass Lowell really came on strong. I would not have wanted to play them had they made the tournament um, in, in terms of trending, they, pro- they probably deserve to be in. Um, but, you know, you got it, the whole season should matter. And uh, but, yeah, I was a little surprised Bowling Green uh, did not make it. Yeah, I think, you know, in the end, I wonder how much of that came down to the, the head to head between those two teams, Bemidji and, and Bowling Green as well, just because they they played against each other a lot. And, you know, another team that 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 had kind of a similar argument in terms of head to head matchups was Denver. In Omaha, but Denver did not have a 500 record, um, and, and and UNO has one of the weirdest schedules I think uh, that, that come in here because they had to play, they had to play you know North Dakota six times, but they also yeah. played Colorado College six times, so right. they won all six of those games. They won two of the games against North Dakota, so it it was just a, a very strange year, and, and it, it's tough. You know, I feel for. For the guys over at Providence, I thought they did have a good season, but losing in the hockey semifinals, I think you get that one win. That might have been all the difference for them to, to get into the tournament. So uh, that's kind of the way that it goes. But, you know, I, I do want to focus back on Bridgeport because that's where you're going to be with uh, with Barry Melrose and Colby Cohen. Um, you know, the the A squad is in uh, is in Bridgeport. And, you know, I, I think what's you know, we talked about Wisconsin and Bemidji State already. But but I mean, you're going to have an opportunity to see you know, the, the de facto favorite for, uh, for the Hobie Baker this year in Cole Caulfield. Um, you know, what, what do you think about having that opportunity and, and just a guy, 28 goals this season, he's been absolutely on fire. I'm sure you, you can't wait to call that one. Yeah, I did a couple, uh, did a couple regular season games for ESPNU and, uh, one was going to Columbus to, uh, do a Ohio state Wisconsin game. So did see him there watched a lot of games again on the big 10 network and on television this year of him and just, it just really impressed on how he improved his skating and mm-hmm. uh, he, he's really improved his skating um, improved really his straight line hockey. And, and just when he gets the puck, he gets it. He's one, he's one of those goal scorers had that great hunger. They love to score uh, whether it's, you know, it reminds me of like, you know, Kovalchuk and Ovechkin, some of those, you know, those Russian goal scorers who just love to score. They have a voracious appetite. And he kind of plays like that. He gets the puck and he goes. And he just tries to create that little bit of space, that little bit of shift um, that he can get his shot off. He can score from distance. He's got that goal scoring hunger. Like I said, he reminds me of Ovechkin and Kovalchuk in that, in that hunger that he has, an absolute carnivore for goals. And uh, so he is the star. He's, you know, since I started doing the Frozen Four in 2013, I did regionals before that for a number of years as well, but he's one of the most exciting players I've seen play in person in college hockey in the last decade, just from the excitement factor. And uh, so, yeah, he's great TV. When he gets the puck, there's just the the game just, you know, bursts with possibility and what could happen. And that's a lot of fun. So to see his development and Dylan Holloway, uh, I'm just absolutely blown away on the big step he made this year as well. He, he might be, he might've been the best player in college hockey, despite what Cole Caulfield's done the last two months, Holloway, uh, yeah. absolute star. He's ready for the NHL. I'm, I'm not sure if the coaches thought he would be in October, November. And certainly I don't know if even Canada thought he would be when he went to the world junior, but I thought he was misused there, his role there. Uh, I think he's ready for the NHL. I think he can play center next fall. We'll see. I imagine he'll go to the AHL after this year. Like I said, I think Wisconsin coaches pictured him coming back for his junior year, but the way he's burst in 2021 calendar year, I think he's going to go pro and play AHL the rest of this year. 
and um, and compete for a job in Edmonton next fall because you know they won't resign Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He's asking for too much money. So Holloway and Caulfield are you know two stars that I think we'll see both in the National Hockey League on ESPN next year. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> and we and we will talk about that soon because that is uh, that is obviously very exciting. And yeah, I think you're exactly right. The jump that Dylan Holloway took this year. Now I I got to see him in junior. And I thought when he came into to Wisconsin, he was going to be a dominant college hockey player from the word go. But that jump from the AJHL, we saw it with Kale McCarr too. The jump yeah. from the AJHL to the NCAA is a pretty significant jump. And the pace of the game changes. And he adjusted to that pace this year. He did it at the World Juniors as well. I, you know, he was more of a, yeah, like a depth, kind of almost like a checking center or right. checking winger for them. So, yeah, so those are two of the most exciting players in college hockey. I think Dylan Holloway is, is uh, I agree. I mean, and Bakersfield uh, in the AHL is one of the top teams in the AHL right now. They've been on a, a long winning streak that I think just ended. But, but yeah, that'll be a great spot for him. And so on the other side, you've got Lake Superior State, which is back in the tournament for the first time since 1996. One of the yeah. great programs in, in the history of college hockey. Jeff Jackson, you know, built that up there. They won national titles. Uh, in the 80s and early 90s, you know, the guys like Brian Ralston and Doug Waite, you know, they, they, they had some pr pretty impressive players that played there over the years, but they will get UMass and UMass is one of those teams that I think you got to be scared of in this tournament after seeing the way that they went through and won any kind of game you needed them to win in the Hockey East tournament and they, they became the first Minutemen team to win Hockey East. What do you think of the Minutemen and what they've accomplished so far under Greg Carvel? Yeah, I'm really impressed with UMass. They have some hundred gamers, as I call them, you know, a hundred college hockey games. It's important to have those older guys, you know, Oliver Chow, Jake Goddard. They played a hundred games. You know, George Amica is approaching a mm -hmm. hundred games. Philip Laganoff as well. They were in Buffalo two years ago. You know, Mark Del Geizo back on defense. Um, you know, he's a junior. He's played, you know, over 84 games for UMass. But yeah, UMass plays a hard really in your face style they have high-end players still though so they have those older guys but they're you know the Kel McCarr effect of, of really attracting high-end people Bobby Trevino too has really brought his game to another level he plays Big with time. grit yeah more than points per game this year and he plays with a real smart grit now he was kind of when we had him in Buffalo you know he, he knew he was a talent but he just kind of played his own game now he plays a complete game wears a letter and but Zach Jones is the guy I'm most impressed with mm -hmm. on UMass in terms of a pro. He's a Ranger draft pick. Look, you're not a big guy. Probably will have to get a, a little thicker, um, you know, 5'10", 175 area. But he's really nifty. Uh, High-end defenseman. Matthew Kessel as well. These guys are producing. They're sophomores, and they're almost yep. point-per-game players. And then you, you add in, I mentioned Mark Del Geizo and Colin Felix and uh, Ty Farmer. That's a lot of experience. So, And Philip Lindbergh was a rock against UMass Lowell. Um, UMass Law was just absolutely going, and I, so and good. I there's not yeah. many, not, and that's why I'm not surprised they beat BC, who kind of geared down a bit once they got the lead. But UMass showed me something that they can play that way too. So I think they're going to be, you know, obviously, you mentioned you, know, you got to win that first game, anybody can win. But if it does end up being a Wisconsin UMass regional final, um, Wisconsin's better be ready because mm -hmm. UMass will play a hard, older style game. And that's something, you know, that Wisconsin will, will have to deal with, you know, and that's just something they're going to have to be ready for. It's not going to be a Michigan game. Uh, might not even be a Minnesota game, really, um, because uh, I like how UMass plays. I, I think they're a frozen four favorite to get there. Yeah, I, I, I think of, of the two seeds, it's hard to find find a better one than UMass. And they yeah, they, they are impressive. They have good depth, you know, and then like you, know, you mentioned all those experienced guys. And I look at a freshman like Josh Lopina, who was the rookie, you know, co-rookie of the year in the hockey East. And he plays like he's been in college for the last four years, just plays a hard, gritty game. And they, they have just they, they can beat you anyway. And so that's going to be a fascinating bracket to watch. Uh, one thing that I wanted to note, it's just kind of a general note, but it's it, it's cool anyway. You know, all of the Minnesota based Division One men's teams are in yeah. the tournament this year. Uh, which All is five. wild and and uh, apparently a first ever and there will be a sixth team next year St. Thomas yeah. is coming in to join the CCHA so I don't think they'll get six it's gonna be hard to get six <laughs> in the tournament but you know I, I mean this is this is kind of the ultimate dream of, of her Brooks who had such a hand in growing college hockey in Minnesota and here they all are. And obviously, you know, the Gophers are the class of that group and, and it's been a bit of a build to get there, but Bob Motzko has really 
you know, continued to build that program, brought in the young players that they needed, but has also gotten significant contributions from older guys like Scott Reedy and Brennan McManus. And, um, you know, they've got a great captain and Sammy Walker. And, and then obviously they have Jack LaFontaine in goal. So, I mean, you know, I think that college hockey is, is better when you got the big, the big guns going. And, and certainly Minnesota is one of those classic programs that always makes it a little more interesting. And if I remember correctly, you also had like one of the all-time great Minnesota regional games. When yeah. You had the Justin Hole game, didn't you? Absolutely, yeah. Oh, like the yeah. last so, second win against North Dakota in Philadelphia. Yeah, the year yeah. Union won the national championship. That's right. That's right. The classic, the classic. So, yeah, that was, I mean, a great tournament. But now you've got the Gophers. You know, they really had to kind of reset as a program. And I think that they're they're getting, if they're not where they want to be already, they're real close. Yeah, I was really, I'm really impressed with Bob Motzko um, as a coach and as a person, meeting him in person, doing some uh, Big Ten games a couple of years ago when he was in his first year. And, uh, you know, he coaches hard. He's very intense. I like those kinds of coaches. And, yeah, I remember watching them early this year, um, their first few games. And I was like, man, they are absolutely, totally in unison. It's like they, they had, they play together, work together, they were fast and just really cohesive. And uh, so they, and I asked him about that on our selection show. And he said, well, that's how we kind of finished the year before there were finally things clicked in, they were going. And then of course the season ends. So they were confident they were going to be able to get those last couple of wins. You know, the one you mentioned Providence was unable to get this year uh, to get in the NCAA tournament last year, which was destined to be in Detroit, uh, the frozen four. But, um, but this year they picked it right up. And that was very, that was so apparent at the start of the season, they get off to that good start, which again, that is the key is get off to that good start, build a base of wins. And then uh, from there. So yeah, I like their team a lot, not, you know, maybe not quite the high star power of a Michigan and Wisconsin, uh, but they're fast. Uh, they get in spots. They have experience. You mentioned the lightning draft pick, Sandy Walker. He just slowly gets better every year. Really good wheels. Rance has really upped his game a big, big level. He's one of those guys who just, finally realized I need to play like a bully. I'm a big guy out there. Just go nuts and have fun. I, so many college players I watch, I don't know if it's from overcoaching in the last 20 years or in put, put them in positions, but like, man, just play like your hair's on fire. You're only young once. This is your chance. Stand out, be different. And again, I know they want to play and they don't want to make mistakes and they want to do their job because rosters are deeper now. And if you, if you don't produce or make mistakes, you'll be out of the lineup and you got to get in the lineup and you want to protect that. But man, I just wish more players would just go. And Rent has done that. And he's an absolute wagon now for Minnesota. This a little star factor. You got to have a little sizzle out there and he gives them some sizzle. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it just wheels for days and he gets to the net about as well as anybody in college hockey at this yeah. point, just uh, lowers the shoulder and it's really difficult to get, to get in front of them. But yeah, you know, and on that other side, Minnesota state is still looking for their first ever NCAA tournament win. they've got a real yeah. tough draw with Quinnipiac, um, which has, you know, the goaltending, they've got Odin Tufto. They've got Ty Smolanek is, you know, probably one of the top recruits that they've had come into that yeah. program. Um, and they got Wyatt Bongiovanni back who was injured for most of the season, scored a big goal in the ECAC game. I mean, so all of a sudden, you, you know, you're Minnesota state, you have a great year. You kind of stumble at the end. You don't get a number one seed. And now you got to go against the Quinnipiac team that that suffered the same fate, lost on home ice. They've got a bad taste in their mouth. That's got to be a, a tough draw for Mike Hastings and his crew right there. Yeah, because I'm sure Quinnipiac was getting bored playing the same teams all the time. And yeah. you, you know, when you're, you're playing Colgate and Clarkson at week after week, and they're going to get to know you, and that that could make things a little tougher to operate. Now you can surprise a team in the tournament with some of those high end people you talked about. Um, they have players who, who are going to play in the NHL or certainly get that chance. And uh, so now they can, you know, I'm sure the players are looking forward to that, to, to see a different uniform, um, you know, play in a different place. And for some players like that, that that's going to spark them to give them another gear. So it's going to be a challenge. You know, both these teams play, you know, somewhat similar, although Quinnipiac maybe might go a little bit more. So that's going to be interesting to watch if Minnesota State can counter and but if some of that high end Quinnipiac talent that you talked about, if they go and they get off that early and they can get an early lead, then that could they could possibly be, uh, you know, take it to another gear because let's face it, Quinnipiac's schedule wasn't strong. No, and some people were intimating that um, that maybe they might not make it. I, I kind of got that. If you went through their entire schedule, I, I kind of see that. 
Right. Um, but, you know, Clarkson, a lot of reason was Clarkson had the record they had was because Quinnipiac beat them. Sometimes people forget <laughs> that part of, of head to heads, whether it's a football season or a weak division or whatever. It's well because that one team beat those teams. They contribute to that poor record. And they kind of, you know, so, yeah. so the head to head thing does matter. So that, I am going to be interesting to see how all not just Quinnipiac, but a number of teams like them. Now that we're in a new season, they're playing different teams. They get to travel maybe for the first time. Um, is that going to kind of give them a nice spark and we're going to have really good tournament play? I think we will because I think we're seeing it in other sports, even the basketball tournament. Yep. They're just, you know, people want to get out of the house. They want to go, they want to see new things and, and the monotony and the malaise can sometimes, you know, sometimes deaden your creativity, your spark, your, your energy. And so I think this is going to really result in some great hockey. Um, unfortunately, only fans in two places, Albany and uh, yep. North Dakota, no fans in Bridgeport and Colorado, unfortunately. Uh, and Pittsburgh, we're up to 25% now for the Frozen Four. I was hoping maybe for one more little uptick possibly before that. Probably not. Um, but uh, so, yeah, so that's going to help, too, for some of these players who haven't seen fans all year. Some are going to see them for the first time. Others have seen them a few times. So I'm kind of curious, you know, when you go out there to Fargo, you know, North Dakota had some fans in the NCHC. So they're kind of used to that. Or another fan where other people get overwhelmed where it hurts them or where they get pumped up and it helps them. So it's going to be fun to watch stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think North Dakota, if, if, you know, watching the NCHC championship and having their fans in the building, I think, you know, they had to come back in, in both their yeah. games. And so I think that they contributes for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and, and obviously we know there's going to be a sea of green in, in Fargo as much as is allowed, at least, uh, you know, it's going to be right. a sporadic sea, but it's a sea nonetheless. And, yeah. you know, and just to really quickly, I just want to touch on North Dakota. I mean, I, you know, I've, I've watched them a lot this year. I think they're the best team in the country, uh, which, you know, doesn't always necessarily mean you're going to be the national champion, but you know, you look at a team, this, this is a group that felt like they were, you know, had an opportunity taken away from them last year. They, they got pretty much everybody that was eligible to come back back and uh, they have, you know, one of the deepest and, and most talented teams in the country. What, what have you seen from them so far this year? Yeah, I, I love Pinto's game. You know, yep. Another Ottawa draft pick. I could see him play with Brady Kachuk, and uh, that would be such a fun line. It kind of reminds me of like a Brendan Gallagher kind of a guy, mm -hmm. hyper, hyper competitive down low. Um, love the energy, love everything about him. Um, you know, Kawaguchi gives him almost like a veteran presence. He just kind of, you know, he's not a high-end skater, not real physical, but he just knows how to play. He's composed and calm. Um, and I, I just think he's that little secret sauce that will kind of give them moments where they need to score, make a play here or there, be in the game mentally the entire time, some experience like we talked about. And I just think North Dakota is going to be really tough to beat. I think their path is there to take it. We talked about maybe an early second round test to get to the frozen four, either a conference rival or a Michigan team, which will get their attention for sure. And so, yeah, I, I just think this is you know, North Dakota's year. It seems to be breaking that way for me. Yeah. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be tough for anybody to get in front of that freight train. Um, you know, I want to close it out on, on regional talk, just with, with that Albany regional and Boston college, Notre Dame, St. Cloud and BU, obviously, you know, there's, there's, there's the potential for the Comav rivalry in the next round, but it's certainly not a guarantee because St. Cloud has, is a real tremendous team with, with VD Mietten and uh, their leading scorer. And, you know, they've got goaltending, they've got veterans and, and all that, but, you know, Boston college obviously is coming off of, this stunning defeat, uh, the wildest game of the postseason so far, you know, up on UMass Lowell, losing in overtime, um, just a, a bit of a collapse. It was maybe the shakiest period that Spencer Knight, it, it was, it was the shakiest period Spencer Knight has had as a collegiate goaltender. Um, do you think any of that lingers or do you think that Jerry York's going to have his team ready to go for this one? I think it could. I think that's not a good sign when a team plays right. that way. They have multiple guys who are going to turn pro after the season. So, you know, they're talking to their advisors. They're talking to their teams. You know, Boldy, Newhook, Hardman, I think they're all going to be gone. And sometimes young people can't handle that. And some teams can live in the moment and play in the moment. Minnesota Duluth always did that really well. Perunovich was always all in. Kale mm -hmm. McCarr was all in at UMass. He didn't think about the next level. He was 100% fully committed to college. 
And, uh, and that's why they went to the championship game. And if you aren't fully committed, there's too many other hungry young teenagers and guys in their early 20s who will take it from you. So I'm just concerned about Boston College's commitment to the now, to today, and to how important college is. If the NHL step is more important than your current college step, those teams lose every year. So yeah, yeah. I, I, I need to see a, I need to see a big time commitment that they want to play college hockey and they want these next two weeks. It's the only thing that matters uh, in their lives. That's what yeah. you need to win. And yeah, North absolutely. Dakota has that. That's what North Dakota has that Boston college doesn't right now. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's that in that first round matchup, Notre Dame is the kind of team that would absolutely pounce all over that. They yes. have the veterans, they have, they have the guys that, you know, they, they, not, not just the veterans, but they have guys like, you know, Landon Slaggart who came in and just, he, he's one of those guys that plays like his hair is on fire and, you know, they get after you and they're they're Those guys are committed. <laughs> so, and they, they feel like they have new life too. So that's a very dangerous sure. first round matchup. And I just wanted to touch on Boston university as well. 10, four and one, they only played 15 games this year. It was a bit of a very, a, a strange year for BU. They couldn't start until way late in the season. You know, they have, such tremendous talent. Um, you know, they've had wins over, over B BC and UMass this year, which I think really without those, I wonder how, how much of consideration they would have gotten after losing in the quarterfinals of the hockey East. But this is a team that has the talent to, to threaten, uh, despite only playing, uh, a small amount of games. I mean, what do you think of the Terriers chances in this whole thing? Yeah, I know the nerdy stats don't look too good for them. Right. I know a lot of people look right. at those, but the games I saw them play, I love them. They play fast and they're nasty. Like, I mean, they were, again, it's some, uh, the thing with the COVID season is sometimes teams were off for a while. They came back, they were like just rocket ships because these young people want to get out and <laughs> yeah. play their Bronco, their Bronco, you know, bucking Broncos out there. But, you know, the games I saw them play, they are wicked fast and they are nasty. And, you know, David Ferris is going to play for the Predators in the NHL. He's a you know, high end defenseman. So, yeah, so, again, if they get a lead and they get some confidence and they get goaltending, there's no doubt they are a threat. I mean, they, like I said, they play with fat, with speed and nastiness, and uh, and they have the skill. So, yeah, so I think BU is dangerous, and I think uh, um, there's there's someone to be reckoned with. Like I said, when I seen them play, I was very impressed. To me, they stood out. They burst through the TV screen with their speed and, uh, and physical play. Yeah, they've they've got some real interesting players there. I mean, I think Luke Tuck has really done a nice job as a freshman there. Um, you know, Drew Camesso is a freshman goalie. You know, he he missed some games this year. He would have been on the world junior team as the number three goalie uh without you know, but he was unfortunately COVID protocol and couldn't go. Uh, but yeah, and then you got guys like Robert Mastro Simone. I mean, there's there so many guys on that team that can hurt you. And I'll, I'm just fascinated to see, you know, with with how, how they've built up and, and if that this long layoff between games, how it'll impact them. But we'll, uh, we'll move on from that. You know, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about, John, is the, the, the fact that over these, you know, the last years and years now, you know, you've really become kind of ingrained in the college hockey culture, obviously hashtag college hockey. Um, you know, you've got the brand. I see those college hockey hats everywhere, uh, every college arena I'm in. I mean, wh when did that start for you? And, and what has it been like for you to kind of watch it grow and, and to be, you know, if you're in a college arena, you know, you're going to get mobbed, you know, people, people love seeing you there. What's that been like for you to be kind of, you know, part of this whole college hockey pop culture phenomenon? <laughs> well, you know, we lost the NHL rights in 2004 at ESPN mm -hmm. and I had done NHL tonight and, and, and things like that intermission reports. And uh, I was writing a column, a hockey column at the time that I continued. Um, for another 10 years or so. Uh, but then after a few years, I remember, I remember going to ESPN. It was like, Hey, can I go do a regional play-by-play? -play? I've always, you know, play-by-play -play was always my dream as a kid. And, and um, I figure, Hey, I can just go do it. I save them some money. It's not like they're paying me extra to do it. I'm a, 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 <laughs> yeah. a salary, a salary employee, just a general contract. And so I said, yeah, sure. Go ahead. You know, drive to Worcester or Bridgeport or Albany. You know, this those those little car rides for the, uh, for the NCAA tournament regionals every year. So again, it didn't cost them a plane flight. And, and uh, so I just want to kind of do that. And I, after a few years of doing that, you know, three, four, five years starts to add up and contract was up one year. And I was like, you know what, I'm ready to, I'm ready to do, uh, take the next step and see if I can do the frozen four. And, uh, and so I asked them during negotiations, they said, sure. You know, so in 2013, I started to do the frozen four. At that point, I was like, you know what? 
I really want to commit myself and, and push myself to uh, really, you know, do a great job by the end of the season. And to do that, you need to really start paying attention to the whole season and the narrative of the season. And so that's when I kind of started the, uh, the, you know, the college hockey poll on Twitter. That was just, that was my way of making sure I do the homework to watch the games in the regular season, to compare schedules, to really, I take it very seriously when I do that poll, those rankings, I should say, it's not a poll, it's just me, but right. the, the rankings, right. <laughs> power, power rankings. And uh, because that makes me really do the homework, you know, who are they playing, common opponents. I kind of, and that really kind of gets me going for the season. And then and ultimately to do a great broadcast. Cause then I would watch a lot of college hockey as a younger kid. And even in the you know, 2000s, I'd watch these games. It just seemed, didn't seem like the, the broadcasters fully committed to the players and their names and their numbers. And I really want to give the sport the respect that it really deserved, especially the players, the time they put in. So when a parent's watching, they're going to hear their son. If he's the fifth defenseman or sixth defenseman, they're going to hear his name, the third and fourth liners. They're going to hear his name on the, on, on the broadcast, making a pass or making a nice hit or whatever it is. So I really wanted to give the sport someone with pom It just happened to be me. It's, and, and since I did have luckily the, the, the landscape of ESPN just by luck and, and fortune to be there, I can kind of be that guy that waved the pom-poms for them because there really wasn't a national voice to give college hockey kind of a brand. I mean, college basketball was already huge, but Dick Vitale kind of gave it a fun, interesting flavor back uh, when he first started at ESPN. It just kind of gave it kind of a little accelerator. Yeah. I'm, again, I'm, I'm probably more on that foundational thing, trying to really, uh, obviously there's great writers and broadcasters and people who love the game. I just want to give it just a little bit of a boost, uh, a little more national, and and, to, and really at my, and I really do it for the players and their parents. That's who. That's the whole point of this is to give them, make it seem like all that time and commitment to seem like, hey, this is pretty cool. This is a big deal, and and someone's uh, paying attention to it and giving it a, a megaphone. So, and if there's any way I can improve it a little bit like that, that's that's really rewarding. Yeah, it's I mean, it, it helps a lot. I think, you know, certainly with your reach and obviously being on a national platform, it, you know, it, it has helped. And I think that we're seeing a, a larger growth in, in college hockey interests overall. Obviously, we've seen expansion, which has been great to see. But I, I think that there is an NHL fans are becoming more invested there. The, people, you know, obviously, I'm a prospect writer. So anecdotally, I'm seeing a lot more interest in the kind of work that I do. And it really, you know, college hockey has become such a, a, a breeding ground for the elite of the elite talent. And, and, you know, I think Jack Eichel has, you know, really took it to the next level and allowed more players. And then obviously Kale McCarr, Quinn Hughes, you know, Brady Kachuk, all these players that come in they're they're creating that cycle. And so college hockey is losing fewer players to major junior. And now we're starting to see more of those elite players stay home. And now for you, this kind of transitions nicely into this ESPN gets the NHL rights you've kind of been on the ground level watching a lot of these guys growing as players. How satisfying was it to hear that, you know, ESPN had secured the rights and, and that, you know, the, the sport that so many people associate with you when they think of ESPN and hockey is now there. And, and, and on top of that, you, you kind of have the, 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 the ground level knowledge of so many of these players that have come in uh, that you've had a chance to call in college hockey. So, I mean, did that, I assume that that enhanced the, the, the excitement, but I mean, just let me know how, how excited you were when, when everything became official and, and obviously Twitter absolutely exploded with it. So what yeah. was that like for you to watch? Yeah, it was a great day. You know, I'd heard really about this the last year, year and a half, that was a pretty good chance. We were going to be part of it. The players wanted it. The league wanted it. Uh, we had forged a relationship, um, you know, the previous ESPN president, John Skipper and Gary Bettman were on the same board, the BAM tech, the streaming service that's now become Disney streaming ESPN or Disney invested in this company slowly and eventually got the whole thing. Um, obviously with the you know, ESPN plus and Disney plus and streaming in mind that they, they saw the future. That's, you know, that's what Disney does. Well, they could see around the corner. <laughs> yep. And, um, and so that we kind of knew it was, you know, probably going to happen, but still it's like anything you're not sure. Then it got closer Then I heard in late January, we were going to get 50% of it. And this was, it, it was going to cut the announcement was going to come in late February. So I'm hearing these things and I really can't share them publicly. And then, um, 
but then it, so it bleeds over into March. I'm like, it's gotta be soon. It's gotta be soon. These, you know, these networks need to prepare. The next season begins in seven months. <laughs> right. And, uh, and uh, we're still only halfway through this season, but you don't forget the next one's only seven months away. So uh, yeah. And then the announcement hit and it was, uh, it was, you know, like an atomic bomb. It was, um, I knew it would energize the league, the players, the fan base. I really did. Um, I didn't think, it was going to be like that. And I'm sure our executives were blown away. I don't think they ever saw that kind of nostalgia and love for the NHL and ESPN coming their way. I think they were absolutely blown away. Um, yeah. And which is great. And uh, so, yeah, so it's something I've been thinking about, you know, I kind of restructured my contract a couple of years ago with this day in mind that, you know, I'm hoping I can, you know, cover just about hockey exclusively going forward, the NHL and, and college Hope I can continue doing the Frozen Four for a few more years before I pass the baton on to someone younger and give them the opportunity. I don't want to be one of these 75-year-old people doing play-by-play <laughs> for something when there's plenty of 30 and 40-year-olds out there, or even sometimes late 20s when they're really good. I wasn't good in my late 20s, but some of them are. Um, you know, let, give them the, the baton. And so, yeah, so I'm really curious to see what's going to happen, what my role might be, and, and how I can, you know, and uh, extend my career because of it, <laughs> for sure. Cause I, yeah. I could have been put out the pasture at any moment. Um, so, yeah, so I'm hoping I can be a part of it in a big way, and I got some other ideas maybe to contribute to programming. Um, so, yeah, looking forward to having those discussions, see how it all plays out, and um, really, really excited and but again until i really see what's going to happen i'm trying to temper my enthusiasm to see what role i'm going to have because i'm going to watch hockey anyway wherever it is <laughs> right right <laughs> so, but to, to be a part of it i'm hoping i can do some things i really enjoy and really are fulfilling and, and like i said it can still do college yeah and you're right it is cool to have that knowledge and pipeline doing you know the frozen four for the last eight years and even the ncaa tournament in some form for about for close to 15 now I've been doing it. Uh, yeah. So I know these players, I know where they went to school off the top of my head and, uh, and those brand names at college just to touch back on college for a second, you know, these are brand names, Wisconsin, yep. Notre Dame, Penn state, these alumni should watch hockey games on television and should watch their alumni. And they will, if you market it and you have availability and, and you pump it up on a national, like on, like I, like on ESPN, like I'm able to do. So that's what I'm hoping to do is just kind of, Hey, we, these are big brands and people will watch. And uh, these are great athletes. They're well, the great, well-produced television now for every sport. So, yeah. So I hope the combination, I can continue with that combination of college and pro and, uh, and, and have like, you know, a unique resume for someone who's done both. So really, really my first job was on Cape Cod in 1996. And my first boss, my first news director, Martha Cusick, um, her dad was Fred Cusick, who's a Hall of Fame Boston Bruin play-by-play man. He's a legend. So yep. really, the, the 30, you know, the 32 years now I've been in the business, it'll be 32 years this August. I've always touched hockey. Like I said, my, my first boss was, uh, you know, Fred Cusick's daughter. And then I went to Providence, Rhode Island and covered the Frozen Four there when it was in Providence. Chris Drury and BU well, won the national championship. So, you know, I, I was in there. And then, of course, I got the ESPN and I do NHL tonight. So I've really been covering hockey in some form or fashion you know with a hockey connection for 32 years and uh so yeah. it's been a, a great run and i'm hoping like one more little burst here third period of my career and 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 have to do some really fun cool stuff with espn yeah well I, i'm certainly certainly excited myself i know a lot of people are you know it's just great to hear the first couple bars of the the the, the nhl on espn music and uh, that, that just, you know, that sends all anybody of a certain age, uh, over the top. And, uh, you know, it's great for people like me, obviously I grew up with ESPN, you know, ESPN two, the deuce, uh, all that stuff. I mean, we really, we really had, uh, gr great games and I'm excited for you. You know, I'm certainly hoping to hear your voice, obviously it'd be great to hear Levy. I know he's a big timer now with the Monday night football, but you know, I mean, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Overtime. He'll be, he'll be there. Yeah, yeah, ex yeah. yeah, exactly. So, uh, but that's great. But the last thing I wanted to ask you is just like, you mentioned you're in the third period of your career. I mean, as, as you kind of like reflect on the whole thing, you know, we've got how does a guy go from Heidelberg University to the worldwide leader in sports? I mean, like I, I'm looking you up and I'm like, hey, this is uh, uh, most distinct. I, I believe they, they call you one of their most uh, esteemed alumni. So uh... <laughs> well, it's a very small school. It's a very small school. Uh, oh, it's been around since the 1800s. But, yeah, there were about 950 students when I was there. So it's not wow. a, 
not a lot of very small schools, small liberal arts school. They're very big in Ohio. There's a lot of them, you know, like 15, like, like church based type of uh, universities that right. pop up all over the country um, for various reasons. But yeah, so it was, uh, you know, I was just, a, you know, I was one of those kids in the eighties who just, the world was very small. It was pretty much only your hometown, you know, I didn't have cable till I was 14. Obviously the internet was not going to come for um, another long time. Uh, another couple de- another 16 years or so. So the world was very small then. You didn't really know much, not very worldly. Lived in Pennsylvania and Ohio. And then my dad retired. He moved back up to New England where he was born and raised. That's why I was, I've always been into hockey because my dad was born in Boston. And, um, and so I always follow the sport like I followed football, baseball, and basketball. Most American kids stop at those three sports as their primary interest. I just also did hockey you know, collected mm-hmm. hockey cards, watch games, played hockey, the whole thing. So to me, it was just another sport. I just added one more. And so it was, but it was a good base to have for my career as it turned out. But yeah, then I just moved to New England. And I tell people that I looked for my first job in a phone book and the yellow pages. I looked <laughs> under television stations, you know, there's, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't have any contacts. My dad doesn't know anybody. He was, my parents were born during the depression in South Boston. So like, um, so I just kind of, you know, and I called a station, I offered to work for free while I worked at a local mall selling bad men's clothing and uh, would just go in there for free. And then they told me about this other even tinier station across town in South Yarmouth on Cape Cod and just went over there and dropped off a resume tape. And again, it was just a little station. It was CNN headline news all day long. They just pressed a button and did a half hour local mid Cape news. It wasn't even the whole Cape Cod, just the middle of Cape Cod. <laughs> If you had this cable, Cape Cod cable vision, they were just a service they offered, like here's the cable access, what it really was. But it was run really well by this Martha Cusick, who I told you about, yep. uh, Fred Cusick's daughter. And, and she treated it very professionally. There's only six or seven of us. And um, I was hired just to be a news photographer, you know, videographer at night. And she said, you can fill in and do the sports. And when, uh, whenever he, the main guy's not here, I was 23 years old. So I did that. And eventually you know the following april i just turned 24 the 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 first sports guy left so that's when i started doing you know just working five nights a week for five and a half years or five days a week really we're on at 5 30 like i said and we repeated seven and ten um so yeah so yeah making eighteen thousand bucks a year so i was about 28 got married young with two kids so i married at 25 dad at 26 and 28 so that 28 year uh, you know, you know, I'm making about eighteen thousand, and uh, but I'm, you know, I've been about five years here in Cape Cod. I wanted to skip that second step, and I didn't really want to go to a Charleston, South Carolina, or a Manchester, New Hampshire. I figured, out, you know, I'm going to hang out here and see if I can jump that step. And luckily, I did. I went to Providence then, um, Providence, Rhode Island, in uh, in uh, late of '96, and that you know that was a nice little jump for me. That's when I really started covering Patriot training camps, Fedway Park opening day, last hockey game at the Boston Garden. Bruins Canadians preseason game, you know, last Celtic game, Magic Celtics playoff game, um, you know, Bill Parcells news conferences, you know, opening day, uh, first X games, national championship, BU Terriers, you know, uh, world figure skating national championships. So I was only there two years, but I did a lot. I got a lot of stuff uh, to get to cover. So I, that was, an, oh, and the local Little League team went to the Little League World Series. We thought they'd be there for two days, lose their first two games. They go all the way to the final. So we're there all week. <laughs> Cranston, Rhode Island. They, then they get a house by Taiwan in the final. But uh, <laughs> so it was really cool two years there. And then they got the ESPN in '96, and and and, uh, and and soon did. Uh, actually, Tiger Woods also won one of his amateurs while I was in Providence, the oh, second wow. of his third amateur. So I was really lucky for those two years to get a crash course after five years, very local TV access. But it's just showing. I, you know, I didn't call in sick that first job. I didn't call in sick that second job. And I didn't call in sick at ESPN until my 12th year, and it drove me crazy. My Cal Ripken streak was over. So wow. when you have average talent like me, the biggest thing is just showing up and hope you get lucky. And I was at a good age. Again, I was 30 years old when the internet took off. And so, you know, that's a good age because I, when ESPN hired me, I was, and they started ESPN News, their 24-hour news network. So they needed to hire 12. We're the Seattle Kraken of television, you know. It's like yeah. an, ex- an expansion team. So, but I was 30 years old. And, uh, you know, I was cheap. So that, that's how it kind of works out. I was experienced seven, eight years, but I was still cheap. So I was a perfect guy to hire. Yeah. And from there, <laughs> and from there, I just, I just kind of survived, you know, um, hockey helped having that niche, you know, the, the, they say the riches are in the niches. Absolutely. So if, if, you, if you can just do something really well, that helped. 
Um, um, and so I get, but you know, that's the one thing hockey leaving 04 might've helped my career in a lot of ways. Cause then I slowly ascended to sports center. You know, I wasn't getting a lot of sports center reps my first eight years, uh, because of hockey. And I would do a bunch of stuff, baseball tonight, a little bit of it, which I like, I like doing a lot of different things. It keeps me interested. Um, so, but everything's really worked out into I, my sports center status was able to elevate while we lost hockey. And that got me into college hockey, which maybe I wouldn't have done. And, and so overall, it's just probably worked out maybe as it should, I hope it has as it should. And, uh, and here we are now, like you said, everything's kind of coming together, going back from that first Cape Cod job with Martha, Martha Cusick and interviewing Bobby Orr by myself with a tripod and a camera at Bay Bank. He was a spokesman for Bay Bank. And I was there like six in this, in the sit down with Bobby Orr, who couldn't have been more gracious back in 1997, talking to me. Uh, so yeah, hockey's always touched my career for the whole 30 years. And, uh, and now, like I said, if I can finish up here in this final period with pretty much exclusively hockey, um, that would be awesome. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, there's certainly going to be enough tonnage at this point, you know, now, yeah, now, right. now that we, you know, that it, with, with the it coming back, I know I'm thrilled. Obviously I wish I was still there just to experience it with, uh, with everybody. Cause it's something we talked about for so long, but it's, it's such a thrill to, to see it again. And, and I think, you know, what we see is that ESPN can help raise the level of the game. And there are people like yourself there, Linda Cohn, Steve Levy, that, that have been carrying the flag. And there are a lot more people behind the scenes. What a lot of people don't realize is there are so many people behind the scenes at ESPN that love hockey. I mean, you know, I know there are producers that are youth hockey coaches in Connecticut, and there are all these different people that have done so many different things that you don't even know about. But I, I, you know, one of the things I, I, I will always say is that, this is a company that knows how to do things right. And they're going to do it. You know, they're going to do right by hockey because so many people there care so much about the sport uh, like yourself. So I'm excited to see what, what happens there. Yeah. I mean, so. I, I could have left a couple of times, you know, certainly Barry Melrose probably could have left a couple of times, but, Yeah, you know, we're, we're kind of those, I'm kind of that one uniform guy. You know, I, I look at Cape Cod as kind of my rookie league. I look at Providence as like AAA. It's like, it's a good AAA town, Pawtucket Red Sox. Now <laughs> they moved to Worcester and of course the Providence Bruins. And, and I looked at ESPN as the big leagues. And so like, it's been my one team, my one uniform, it'll be my 25th year in August. we my 25th anniversary in October, I should say, October 28th. And so, you know, it'd be kind of cool to have that one uniform and to, and to go out on your terms. And like I said, if uh, it, it's really exciting if it, if it does turn out that way. And so far uh, it's been a, a blessing. Yeah, well, well, we appreciate all the work you've done for college hockey and also, you know, just for hockey in general at, at the Worldwide Leader. And, and I thank you personally for all the great support you've given me over my career, even before I was at ESPN, while I was there, and, and again now as a, as a subscriber and, and, uh-huh. and third, third ever podcast guest. So, I oh, mean, yeah, we, yeah, we, do I get a free t-shirt or something? I, or, you know? Well, you're the t-shirt guy. So That's I, true. I might, we should work together. We, we, we might have together. to, we'll, we'll, we'll get trade. you branded and get you a logo and start <laughs> pushing stuff on my website. Yeah, Absolutely. I like it. Absolutely. Well, you can, you can follow John at Butchergrass on Twitter. Uh, definitely check out the hashtag Bucci Overtime Challenge. I'm sure that we'll have to break that out a few times during the regionals. Yes. And uh, check out BucciOT.com for some of that great college hockey merch. College hockey, excuse me. I got to pronounce you. that properly. You're welcome. That's and, all right. uh, <laughs> and, and John, thanks again for being on uh, Talking Hockey Sense. It's such a pleasure to have you. And, and uh, I, I can't appreciate it more. And I wish you nothing but the best with, uh, with the Men's Frozen Four and the regionals. Oh, thanks, Chris. We're lucky to have you in hockey as well. Uh, you're part of the family that, that make this a great sport. It's, I'd say it's a, it's, a, it's a blood sport, and it's a, no one's more fun and more loyal than hockey people, and you're certainly one of those people. So can't wait to see you again, my man. All right. Once again, my thanks to John Butchergrass for joining me this week. I had a lot of fun talking to him, and I'm really excited to see what the men's NCAA tournament holds for us because it is absolutely one of the most entertaining and chaotic weekends of the hockey year speaking of entertaining and chaotic did you happen to see the women's frozen four on espnu last weekend oh my goodness what a game you had northeastern and wisconsin two of the best teams throughout the entire season northeastern has alina mueller and skylar fontaine and aaron frankel and they were just a tremendous team so difficult to get goals on just because frankel was you know the best goaltender of the year and then obviously they had a lot of speed as a group. But you look at Wisconsin and the depth and, and the fact that they are now six-time national champions. 
in women's hockey. Just an incredible game for the Badgers and an incredible finish. And, and Daryl Watts scored the game-winning goal. And and I'm very interested to see what her status looks like for the Canadian national team because she has been such a tremendous college hockey player for the last four years. She started at Boston College, won the Patty Kazmaier as a freshman, then transfers to Wisconsin, has a great senior season. You know, she she is a, a tremendous talent and scores the game-winning goal by de- bouncing the puck off a defender and into the net. You know, after the game, she did admit she she was trying to bank it off a defender, didn't actually go off the one that she intended to shoot it off of. But it, it's a tough way for Northeastern to lose because that team had every ability to win the national championship. But you look at the experience, the depth, and the speed, and, and sometimes the physicality of Wisconsin. I thought it overwhelmed Northeastern in the end, but as we saw, it was a 2-1 game with an overtime finish. I hope you got a chance to check it out. If not, I'm sure you could find a replay on on one of ESPN's platforms because there was a a lot of great things there. Also, shout out to Clay Matvick and AJ Malesko Griswold for an incredible call. You know, I thought that this was the first time the Women's Frozen Four was on ESPN. It had been moved around. It had been on NCAA.com some years. Big Ten Network had it for a while. I think having it in a place where most other NCAA championships are is really important for exposure. And I think that we'll find that this had a, you know, probably one of the most watched women's hockey games of all time in terms of, at least for college hockey, with the reach that ESPNU has. And and if you saw it, it was a tremendous game. All right. Wanted to switch gears a little bit here, but keep it with college hockey and in, but also talk about a a topic that is important to NHL fans because college free agents have continued to be a hot commodity in the NHL. They don't always pan out in terms of getting an everyday NHL player, but they can help teams fill out roster depth. They can help fill out their AHL roster. And if nothing else, it's an opportunity to, to hand a contract to a player that's a little bit more fully formed, a little, you have a better idea of what they are. And every once in a while you land guys that will be impact players for your team. This year's free agent class, I think, is good, not amazing. It's I think we've had better years in the past, but the guy at the top is Matt Kirstead of North Dakota. Really good defenseman. North Dakota still looking like they might make a, a deep run. You can read the whole list of top college free agents at, at hockeysense.substack.com. I've got, uh, you know, basically a top 10. I also added to it later. I, you know, I shortchanged Mike Hardman from, from Boston College, but he's a guy that absolutely will be in the mix for an NHL contract as a free agent. Um, but, you know, there, there are a lot of different players that you need to know about that teams will be going after. Now, the interesting thing that I'm, I'm, I'm anxious to see is how do the Canadian teams deal with getting guys signed when they're, you know, if they want them to go play for their AHL team and in Canada, there's going to be a quarantine situation. You know, how many guys get an opportunity to actually get an NHL entry-level contract? I think a lot of teams are trying to go with the AHL-only deal first to get a player kind of under their team control and then maybe get them an NHL deal next season. But I think guys like Matt Kierstead, who I mentioned, will get an NHL ELC right off the bat and could potentially have the option to play. Now, there are a couple of interesting wrinkles to the the free agency process this year. Number one is that the NHL trade deadline is until mid-April, so there is time for these teams to get players under contract and actually have them be eligible for their playoff roster. Now, I don't think there are many players in this mix, if any, that would be guys that teams would want to have on their playoff roster right away. I mean, I think Kirstead is maybe one of those guys that could potentially have a chance to do that, but I don't think there are too many teams like that. We haven't really seen that since Danny DeKaiser signed as a free agent with a delayed trade deadline in the 2012-13 season. Because of that, he was able to be eligible for the playoffs to play for the Red Wings that same season. So it doesn't happen very often, but it is a wrinkle to be aware of. Another interesting element is that most players, even if they're seniors this year, have earned an extra year of eligibility that they can use, even if they played this season. The NCAA changed the rules a little bit to kind of help players that that you know might have missed a significant amount of their you know their senior season to COVID, and so that or or any season really, so it gives them an opportunity to have that extra year of eligibility. Some players are going to use that, and some are guys that could potentially be free agents this year or free agents next year. Players that do take that extra year, one of the things to keep in mind is that if they, you know, are still playing college hockey after they're 26 years old, you know, they can they don't have to fall under the entry level system. So that makes it interesting for NHL teams. It kind of changes the calculus a little bit for how those players are recruited and signed. But another element that I think is important to note 
is that some of these players are going to stay in school, but they may actually transfer and enter the transfer portal and take that extra year of eligibility somewhere else. And this is really going to shake up the college hockey landscape in, in a couple of ways, because first of all, it's going to change teams potentially where they can have, you know, a fifth year senior come in and really help, you know, boost their program. You know, I think about certain guys that are, are weighing options right now. I've, you know, heard kind of in the agent business, there are players that are considering, hey, maybe I will take that AHL contract or maybe I'll go back to school for another year and see if I can manage to get that NHL deal. So I think that that's going to be interesting to see. But that kind of impacts the entire college hockey landscape. This is the same is true on the women's side. They're, they have also gotten that extra year of eligibility and they have the decision, hey, maybe we can go to the NW, I, I can go play in the NWHL or play for the PWHPA next season. Or I can stay in school and try and wait and see what happens with women's professional hockey and maybe the landscape's a little more clear when I get done. So so for the men and the women, there's a lot to consider. But it also affects junior hockey because there are going to be some players that are going to stay for that extra year of eligibility and it's going to push players that were planning to go to school a little earlier. So that, that can help potentially benefit the USHL and the North American League and junior leagues where players can get that extra year before they go on to college. So this whole extra year of eligibility is something that teams are really going to have to think about because do you want that fifth-year senior to stick around or do you want to bring in that new recruit that you had promised a spot to? And if in that case, you know there, there aren't enough programs for all these guys to, to transfer to. The interesting thing about that, though, however, is that there is St. Thomas coming into uh, college hockey men's Division One next season. So that's a, an option. It could be very good news for Long Island University, which is you know an independent. It could be good news for the Alaska schools that are going to be trying to fill out rosters if they are able to continue their programs next season. So the transfer portal will become very interesting in college hockey. We see it a lot more in other sports. It's become very popular among college quarterbacks. It's been very popular in college basketball. And it has been increasing in popularity in uh, in college hockey as well as we've seen some players that have the eligibility with, you know, try to take that last season somewhere else, maybe at a bigger program than the one that they played for, or maybe there's a better opportunity for them. So a lot of things to consider, but college free agency has all these different kind of wrinkles to it this season with that extra year of eligibility. And it makes for uh, a very interesting process, but, uh, we'll see where that all ends up in the end. I want to thank you so much for joining me this week, and thanks for sticking with me through this little extra commentary section. I know a lot of you probably tuned in to, to hear John Butchergrass, and I, I thank you for that, and I, I thank Bucci for his time as well because there was some great info there. It's always great to talk college hockey with anybody, and I'm so happy to do it here on this podcast, on this college hockey-specific episode. I am going to be going to the, the Men's Frozen Four in Pittsburgh, so I'll have some live coverage there on hockeysense.substack.com. Once again, please subscribe to that if you haven't yet. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. It really has been a lot of fun for me to do. We're getting great feedback. Make sure you go back to listen to the, the earlier episodes. Episode one was Bob McKenzie of TSN, the original Hockey Insider. Episode two was my good friend Corey Promen, who covers prospects for The Athletic. We talked a lot about the NHL draft and, and did a lot of prospect comparisons and things of that nature The uh, from our careers doing this job uh, and covering prospects. So a lot of fun to be had there. If you do subscribe to this podcast, please make sure to leave a rating and review. It really helps us get up the charts on iTunes and all those other things and Apple Podcasts and, and everywhere else. And, and if you can, share it, let people know about it. It is uh, the whole deal for me. That's It's all about hockey sense and talking hockey sense for me uh, as, as I try to continue this career in this crazy media business. But I cannot thank the people that have supported me so far enough uh, because they have uh, really kept this thing going and kept me motivated to do my best work. So I will hope to continue to do that for you. But that is going to do it for this week's episode. Tune in next week. We'll have yet another guest. We'll be talking more hockey, and I cannot wait to do that again because this is a lot of fun, and I hope it's been a lot of fun for you too. That's it for this week. This is Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. We'll see you next time.